And good morning. I'm Pastor Dave Mitchell. It's great to be able to worship together with you. We're in a wonderful book called the Book of Galatians. It's a story that Paul wrote uh, instructing the people who lived in an area of the world that we know of as Turkey. And uh, they were relatively new followers of Jesus. They didn't quite get it all, and so Paul was helping to bring balance to their lives. And so this morning we're going to be dealing with living by the law of love. As Paul is talking uh, to extremes... There's an extreme out there called legalism where we try to do the right things, sort of the checkbox Christianity. And then there's the other extreme of license where I have freedom to do just about what I want to do. And Paul wants to bring them right in the middle of that so that we know what the truth is, but we also want to live by the law of love and have that kind of emphasis as well. And, uh, and so I'm going to invite uh, our guys to turn on the, the back screen as well. It would be really, really helpful. Thank you very much. We want to live by the law of love. And uh, one of the great uh, illustrations of a, a law of love comes from the theological writings of Dennis the Menace. You remember the Dennis the Menace? He's still actually in, in uh, the papers today, if you get a paper. Uh, one of those stories that I saw that was an image of Dennis and his little friend Joey walking away with cookies in hand. And they were just given those cookies by Mrs. Wilson. Mr. Wilson be the grumpy old neighbor, and Mrs. Wilson the sweet grandmotherly woman as she is portrayed there. And as Dennis and Joey are walking away with these cookies in hands, Dennis remarks to Joey and says, Joey, Mrs. Wilson gives us cookies not because we're nice, but because she's nice. And that's an image of God. I hate to say it out of the trivia of a cartoon on the, the newspaper page, But God is nice to us. God loves us, not because we're so wonderful and perfect, but he loves us in our imperfections, as Jesus, as we are told in in Romans, that Christ died for us while we were yet sinners, and that's how much he loves us. He loves us in our sin. He loves us in our messiness. He loves us in our confusion. He loves us in our rebellion, And then he invites us to be like him, that there are people around us that are rebellious, that are messy, that are unlovable, that are hard to even like, and God says, that's the person I call you to love. So this morning, we're talking about that kind of love that is not always easy to do. There are three verses that we're looking at this morning. You have an outline that was in the bulletin. You received one of those. It would be really helpful for you to follow along. But here are the three parts of today's message. There is a problem and then there is a calling, and then there are consequences depending upon what you do. Well, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, if you have Bibles, you can take the Bible that's in the chair rack in front of you. If you don't have your own Bible, if you don't have an own Bible at all, you can take that Bible home. That can be your personal Bible. But in Galatians 5, 13, where we find ourselves today, Paul writes about a problem that wasn't true 2,000 years ago. It's still true today. That's why the Bible is so relevant. In Galatians 5.13, it says, For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So the problem is the opportunity of the flesh. We'll talk about that in a moment. Here is the calling. Love one another. Serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. In a statement that Jesus said, Jesus said, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if we don't obey God's word, Paul says this happens. But if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed by one another. So there are consequences. 
the reason we study the Bible, the reason we grow in our Christian faith, the reason the more we know about Jesus is so that we don't have bad consequences. We'll have bad consequences no matter what, but we sure minimize them. If we don't love the way God calls us to love, we will bite, we will devour, we will be consumed by one another. And believe me and those of you who have been through, for example, a divorce, you know how painful it can be when you don't live by the law of loving your neighbor as yourself. It is painful. So we want to talk about that and break it down into three parts. First of all, the problem. Here is the problem that we will face. The problem is that we have this freedom, and so we think we have freedom to kind of live our lives any way we want. Sort of unguarded, unguided by anything God would say, or even maybe what parents would say, grandparents would say, friends would say. We just want freedom to live our lives. Who are you to tell me how to live my life? So Paul says, let me address that. There are opportunities for the flesh. Let me talk about the opportunity in flesh. The flesh is this, just defining it. The flesh that Paul is talking about here is the desire of my body, my temptations, my desires, those things that are deep-seated in me that I feel drawn to do. If you've been involved in any kind of a support like a Celebrate Recovery, for example, and if you've been struggling with addictions, you know that this flesh has a lot, a lot of desires. And it may be for certain drugs, certain sexual activities, certain gambling activities. There's a lot of things that my flesh wants me to do. If you've ever been hurt by someone and they've offended you and greatly, deeply grieved you and hurt you, your flesh is going to say, I'm not going to ever forgive that person. I will never reconcile with that person. I never want to have peace with that person. I want nothing to do with that person. My flesh is driving that kind of an influence. Because when God calls me to love people that are unlovable, man, my flesh is, it shuts that love down. So it's the flesh of my body that has this hunger and desire for things that carnally come from inside my body. That's the flesh. Then there is the opportunity. God brings and allows opportunities into our lives. The word opportunity there is a term that is used for staging a war. So there are opportunities that come our way. Let me show you First John. First John is writing similarly to his readers. Do not love the world nor the things in the world because the world has a different value system than many of us. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father but from the world. There are three things here. Let me illustrate it with a very trite illustration, if you will. Father's Day was a few weeks ago. My daughter, Kiersey, uh, got me some Father's Day stuff. And one of the things that she bought me, because she knows I like this stuff, is this cinnamon loaf from Costco. Have you seen those things? They are, wow, they're great. Uh, and so it's just a loaf of bread, but it's got cinnamon that is, you know, they wrap the bread all around, all the sugary cinnamon stuff, and they put the icing on the top of the uh, bread. They're fantastic. You got to go, when you get done here, go check it out. So I've got some of that cinnamon bread in the freezer. So yesterday, for example, I'm sitting there watching the Tour de France. I love cycling and do it regularly every week. So as I'm sitting there watching these guys who are as fit as could possibly be, as I sit in my easy chair, my flesh begins to speak. 
And my flesh says, Dave, remember that cinnamon bread that your daughter bought you? Oh, yeah, that's right. It's in the freezer. I got to go get it and let it thaw out. I love to put it in the microwave. Just warm it up about six seconds. It's perfect at that level. I don't even like to put butter on it. And so my flesh begins to talk to me. And then I go look at it. My eyes open the freezer, and there it is. And I open it up, and I pull it out, and I peel off one layer of the slice of bread. And a little bit of the slice behind it actually came with it, so I got a slice and a half in one piece. And so my eyes begin to look at that as my flesh begins to push me forward. And then the pride of my life, my pride says this, Dave, you deserve this. Your daughter gave this to you. It's a Father's Day gift. It doesn't matter that you're obese. Get a little more obese. It just doesn't matter. Don't worry about what people say about you. Don't worry about your jeans being a little bit too tight. Just go ahead. You're entitled to this. So this is how it works. My flesh begins to call to me to a certain activity that I know is not necessarily the healthiest and probably the best thing to do. And then my eyes begin to search for how I can do what my flesh tells me that I want to do. And then my pride shuts down any argument that wants to counter what I know to be right and proper. That's what happens. You just take, now I, I used a silly little story, but you take any story like that, and that's the sequence. My flesh desires it. My eyes look for opportunities to do it. And then my pride, in my pride, I feel entitled. No one dares tell me I can't. Who are you to tell me I can't, we might say to someone. And so we, we do it. We indulge. Paul says, watch out. And so what happens, I kind of capsulize it in this. Our presumed freedom is this. I do what I want even if it's not right. Because my flesh normalizes what I think I should be able to do. My flesh desires it. God made me this way. And so we have this kind of this mindset. Let me give another little illustration of what happens. Some years ago, I had planted boysenberry bushes in my backyard because I thought it would be great to have boysenberries from my own crop. And I'm telling you right now, don't ever plant boysenberry bushes. They're a pain. Just go to the store and buy some. Don't try to grow your own. Because they get in there and those, they grow all around the ground. It's like weeds and you've got to whack it back every year for new berries to grow on it. And they just dig more and they get more and more roots. So I finally... I said, I'm going to dig them out. So it's like August, and I'm digging it out. It's really hot outside. So I'm digging with a pitchfork, trying to get all these berry bushes out because I'm just tired of the mess. Well, our neighbor has, and we have a redwood fence between us and our neighbor. And our neighbor has this big boxer dog. And so as I was digging in my backyard, the boxer dog was barking. Every time I dig, he'd bark. Dig, bark. Dig, bark. It was driving me crazy. I was getting... I was getting fleshly. My flesh was saying, I want that dog to shut up. And then the dog begins to jump on the fence. He'd run, and I'd hear a bounce, all four legs on the fence. Four legs on the fence as I would dig. And then one time as I was digging, he jumped, 
and the whole fence, about 10-foot section, collapsed into our yard. And he's standing on top of the fence. And I'm standing there with my pitchfork. <laughs> and I am so angry at this time. I'm so frustrated. The stupid dog. How dare him? So as I stood there with a fork flashing through my mind was this. Go ahead. Make my day. <laughs> I, wanted a, I, wanted a, I wanted him to attack me. So in justification, self-defense, I could run him through. I was so angry. So this is what happens. There are opportunities, Paul calls them. That was an opportunity. We have opportunities. We have scenarios and situations and people, and they create opportunities. And there are opportunities for our flesh to respond, for my flesh to be driven by those things that feels impulsively right at the moment, but I know eternally are wrong that are contrary to God's will. It may be something a friend says to you. It may be something your spouse has done to you. It may be something your boss is mistreating you in where you're being unfairly criticized or unfairly not promoted or unfairly didn't get the raise. It may be a teacher that downgraded your score on a uh, paper that you submitted and you think that was totally unwrong, wrong, and you begin to have this presumed freedom that in my flesh... I am indignant at this person and what they've done or said to me, and I have a right to respond out of my flesh to harm them in some way. And that's devastating. That's why Paul says you're going to bite, devour, and consume one another if you live by that logic. So here are some freedoms that I want to be candid with you about that occasionally we'll have. There are some people who have freedom in their relationship with Jesus, and they think they have a freedom to, I don't need to be active in the church. I'm spiritual, but I'm not very religious. So I, I don't need corporate. I don't need institutional relationship with God. I just sort of live my own life with God. To have a body of believers that surround, I don't need that. So I have freedom to not do that. There are some people who have freedom to sin. I've had people say this to me. I know that it's wrong. I'm going to do this sinful thing but I know that God will forgive me when I confess my sins because he, he's promised to forgive all my sins that I confess to him. So there are people that have that kind of mindset that I'm free to do that. There, and this is the big one today, the freedom sexually because God made me this way. That this is, the, this is the way God has designed me to be. And I act out of what my flesh calls me to be. There was a friend of mine years ago he was a leader in one of our other churches. He was a pedophile. And I went to visit him in prison after he was convicted of the crime. And I visited him. I said, man, wh why did you do this to your own daughters? And this is what he told me. It felt normal. It felt loving. It felt like the right thing. Well, well how do you get to that point? You get to that point. This guy that taught Sunday school, he was a leader in the Sunday school class. He taught the Bible. But you get to that point when my freedom and my flesh, they connect up. And my flesh says, this is normal. And the more I do it, the more it feels normal. And I begin to have this pride of my life. My flesh and my eyes and my pride says, this is the way God made me. And God I know that you wouldn't want to shut down the way you've made me. This is reality for today. 
that we don't live this freedom. We live according to what God says. Freedom to sin because my circumstances are so difficult and the desire is so strong I can't help myself. If you grew up the way I grew up, if you were in my circumstances, you'd do the same thing. I may do the same thing. Does that make it right? No. So Paul is addressing these opportunities that come along that my flesh does not become the driving force of my life. Some of just a few others. Freedom to leave my marriage because God wants me to be happy. I've heard that so much. It's heartbreaking. And we think that somehow by changing my circumstances, my, my happiness will come back to me. And God, God just wants to counter that. Don't let the pride of life convince me that these fleshly desires are going to somehow satisfy. There's a freedom to live together before marriage to learn if we really are compatible. And I know that we've had many people come through here and we love everyone who comes here. And we want to help every couple that may be living together. And some don't even know what God says about that. But there are some who have the mindset, and I have friends, personal friends, that I've met with who have told me, I can't imagine marrying somebody that I haven't lived with. How would I know if I'm compatible? Well, there are other things you can do to measure the compatibility, and it doesn't matter what you do, frankly, before marriage. You're going to have problems in marriage. I don't care who you are. You're going to have problems. Doesn't mean it's a wrong person to marry, because all of us who are married have problems. You can't live together and think, oh, now I know. No, that's false. So this is the freedom that we want to understand that is an opportunity of my flesh, but it doesn't mean I should do it. There's freedom to not forgive someone who hurt me, and then we also think we have freedom for revenge because that person was wrong and deserves it. We sort of felt so, so justified in that. So th these are the dangers. This is the, this is the problem. Paul wants to be addressing that with us. It's interesting. He's, he wrote that 2,000 years ago. And here we are today, and it feels like he could have written it to many of us today. He could have written it to me. I battle with my flesh in the role that I play even here at Calvary Church. So he says, let me change the tone. He says, here's what I want you to do instead. And next week we'll talk more about this and show you how the Spirit of God wants to come and give us power. But he says for the today, but through love I want you to serve one another. I want you to get in this kind of relationship where the law is being fulfilled in a loving relationship. And then he quotes Jesus. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment in the world? And Jesus says, to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what Mark says. And then he says, you didn't ask for it, but let me give you a second law. The second law is to love your neighbor as yourself. I want you to love people around you the way God loves them. So here is the interesting word of the day. This word friend comes from the Indo-European word, and they have the same root of freedom. That when you have a friendship, there is a loving relationship, and God says, I want you to have a freedom in that relationship where you love one another, and this is what it should look like. When Joy and I got married, this was the passage that we said is going to be the passage to help us. 
Paul writes, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection, compassion, make my joy complete by being in the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. And here is the concept of love that is hard for me. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. I can take care of my personal interests, but my God is asking me to say, count them as more important. Look to those around you. What do they need? And so he expresses that, and he says, then here's our model. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, he didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. And what he did is he emptied himself of the glorious majesty of looking like God in heaven. Jesus put all that aside and came down as a human being, as a bondservant. And here's our challenge. That for you and for me, this is, this is the battle. We'll have people that will say things and do things that just drive us nuts. I've had so many people, just in my, my stay here at Calvary Church, where my flesh has told me to say or do one thing, but I know God's telling me something else. Even as we were standing up here worshiping, it just flashed through my brain. I remember many years ago, I was sitting here about two minutes before the service was to begin. And a guy come up to me and and just told me everything that was wrong with me. Just kind of had a, like a laundry list. Here are the things that, are, that I don't like about you that are wrong with you. This is two minutes before the service is going to begin. And I said, you know, I, I'm happy to talk with you about that. But, you know, I've got like one minute and we're starting here. He said, oh, no, no, no. We don't need to get together. I just had to get it off my chest. And then he walked out. I'm telling you, my flesh still feels. <laughs> my flesh still wants to show that guy and embrace him in a loving, <laughs> you know? That's my flesh. I, I don't want to, I don't want to own, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to do that, right? I care more about what I feel than what he feels. And, and those are hard moments. And we all probably have stories that are sort of in that vein where my flesh says, I, I'm not going to let them get away with it. I'm, I'm going to hold it against them, and I'm going I'm to really seek some way to counter them and, and injure them, and as Paul says, bite, devour, and consume them, whatever that may be. So God is calling you and me. And, I, you know, this is the sort of thing that I feel like I shouldn't have to even say to myself. I don't feel like I should have to tell myself or even be reminded from this passage that I'm supposed to love people who are unlovable, that I'm supposed to love people who have messy lives, that I'm supposed to love people who are very different from me, that I'm supposed to love people who have value systems that are contrary to mine. I have loved people who have a, a life of orientation that is contrary to biblical righteousness. I feel like I shouldn't have to love people like that. And then God says, no. No, th those are the ones, that, that's who I'm talking about. If you love them, then you're doing what I'm asking you to do. Because in my mind, this is what God's saying. 
Dave, I want you to do what is right, even if it's not what you want. And there's a lot of stuff I want to do, but it's not right. And so this is where maturity comes. This, you know, for all of us who have had children who have grown up, when kids are like two or three, and you're in Albertsons over here, and your kid wants the sweet cereal, wants the tricks, and you say, no, no, it's too much sugar. And then the kid falls down in the middle of the aisle in Albertsons and begins to have a temper tantrum, screaming and pounding on the ground. And all the other people around are saying, what a lousy parent you are. As the kid has a temper tantrum because he doesn't get the tricks. That kid is working out of its flesh. He's a two-year-old. Two-year-olds are driven by flesh, not by what's right. Well, I don't want to be like that. So that's immaturity. Maturity is where you grow up and you walk down the aisle, using the same metaphor, and you look at the cereal and you get shredded wheat because <laughs> you think, you know what? I don't, you don't want to hear about that. No. <laughs> but you do what's better for you. So I'm just pleading with you. I'm pleading, I'm pleading to myself. I'm preaching to myself. Because there's a lot of stuff I want to do, but God is calling me to do what is right to do. So I invite you into that with me. Because if I don't do that, here's what happens. Paul goes on. I don't want you to bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. There's this problem that comes out of this that we're, that we're just consumed by that. And God says, I don't want you to live there. I want you to live beyond that. Let me give you an illustration. I read this story just this last week. There's a lot of stuff about police officers these days, and sadly, it's not, always, it's not always honoring to the Lord in terms of how some people treat officers, and I have a desire to respect them, and I hope that you will as well. There was a police officer in July the 12th in 1986. His name was Stephen McDonald, and he was uh, an officer in New York City. He was in Central Park checking out things, and there was a report of a stolen bicycle. It came across three teenagers who had a bicycle. So he went over and asked them, you know, tell me about your bicycle, where'd you get it, and that sort of thing. One of those three teenagers took out a gun, shot Stephen McDonald in the head, in the neck, and in the arm. Took him to the hospital. The doctors and the surgeons worked on him, and the surgeons told his wife, your husband is going to be paralyzed from the neck down for the rest of his life. That was in 1986. For 18 months, he was in that hospital, rehab, rehab, rehabilitating himself. He just died a couple of months ago. So he lived a, as a quadriplegic since 1986 till this year. And in his funeral, we learned some things about him. And one of the most powerful things that I learned about Stephen McDonald is a man, a cop, who lived what I'm talking about today. This is what he said. He wrote up. He forgave this teenager that paralyzed him from his neck down. He forgave him. That made headlines. And he wrote, Through the family and friends that God put in my life and their prayers, God spoke to me and said, Will you love this boy who shot you? And the best way that I could love him was to forgive him. Left to my own abilities... I don't think I would have done it, right? Opportunity of the flesh. My flesh says don't forgive. 
But God says, love him, forgive him. And I know that I would have died a long time ago had I not listened to God, said yes to God, followed the example of Jesus, and loved and forgiven him. And so he wrote to this young teenager, said, I love you and I forgive you. I don't know if I would have enough maturity to do that. His son, Connor, is a cop with NYPD, sergeant, and he wrote this about his parents. Talking about his parents, he says he, they, he and they did more than most able-bodied fathers could ever do with their sons. My parents created the most phenomenal life out of such darkness. It was due to their unmatched, unconditional devotion and love for each other, which I witnessed from the beginning of my life. What God is saying is that something powerful happens when we live by the kind of law of love that is life-changing to people. There are opportunities in my flesh, but they will be overcome by the opportunity of God's love. Because if I don't, and this is the, not to create guilt, this is the consequence. It tears people apart. So I invite you into that kind of loving relationship with Jesus Christ. Living by the law of love. Now I'd like to transition for uh, just a moment. As someone told me first hour, it felt like you gave two messages to us. And I did. I have a second message that's going to last 11 minutes and 30 seconds. And there will not be an additional offering for this one. So rest easy. But one of the things that's come up to me is a discussion, and it may be amongst certain segments of our church more than other segments of our church, admittedly. But as a pastor, I just wanted to deal with it. I want to be upfront. I want to be transparent. I don't know that we've been as transparent as we can be. But what's going on at Calvary Church in terms of worship? There are certain rumors that have floated around. One rumor is that uh, Dave Mitchell, that would be me if you don't know me, Dave Mitchell is done in August. He's being let go, or he's retiring, or he's quitting. And as far as I know, some, do you know something? I don't know anything about that. And so I'm not planning to leave in August, and uh, even after that, so you, Michelle, Michelle, I didn't. You're not going to, like, stand? and. You know. I, don't, I didn't say that to, to make you, and Michelle, it takes one person, and thank you, Michelle, you're very kind. Uh, but uh, th- I just want to dis- disavow that. I have no plans to leave. I'm planning to be here for a while. Likewise, uh, I heard uh, last week that Ron is leaving us in August, and to my knowledge, you're not leaving, are you? I'm not asking, I want you to leave. Uh, Ron and I have been working together in worship and services here at church for 20 years. I love Ron. I love what God has done in his life and how he... Uh, helps lead us into worship, and so that's not going on as well. So. You get your own applause, so thank you. Um, so those are th- rumors that I've heard. I've heard it been repeated over and over. I said, wow, where are you hearing that? I had one sweet lady last Sunday morning before service as I walked over there, and she's this first-hour person, and I walked over to her and said, hey, how you doing? Yeah, great. Yeah. And then she says to me, we're going to miss you, you know. I go, <laughs> Well, okay, so I just wanted to say that, and uh, for better or for worse, that's the truth, sorry. Uh, but I want to talk a little bit about worship, because when we're talking about the concept of love, it's loving God 
and it's loving others. Worship is loving God. There are certain timeless principles. I just want to talk very quickly. There are certain timeless principles that are valuable for worship. One very timeless principle that is hugely important to me, and I think Scripture, is that worship is biblical, that the words we sing are biblical truths, that they cause us to enter into the presence of God, to know Him, to sing to Him. There are two kinds of songs. The songs that sing about God and there are songs that sing to God. One's a prayer and one is just this expression of celebration about the qualities of God. So we want to have this timeless, this passionate, this passionate worship that uh, sometimes the volume is, is either too loud for some people or too quiet for some people. We try to monitor that and make sure it's just not a distraction, whether it's too quiet or too loud. But there are some things that change. There are changing things. We'll have different people on the platform that will lead us on occasion. You've seen that over the last few weeks. That's okay. We have a wonderful array of people that are leading us today. They may not be the ones that are here next Sunday, but we want to continue to rotate through different people. So those things will change. The music will change according to the, what the message happens to be. There are changing things that happen constantly in terms of worship. We're not worshiping today the way I worshiped in 1955. Can you believe I was alive in 1955? I was. And I'm telling you, in 1955, it was Adela Hymnal, and it was a piano, and the organ. And I'm telling you something. If we had on the platform the musicians that we had on the platform today, we had them on the platform in 1955, they would shut down that church. Honestly. A guitar? A guitar in worship? What's this world coming to? I mean, that's where, that, that's what was the, that was the mindset. So uh, the hippies are taking over. That's what they would have said back then. And hippies were a big deal back in those days. And so things change. We change. We want to grow. We want to improve. But let me go through some principles very quickly. Why do we worship? We move from a consumer-minded mindset where I get what I want to a God-centered life so I give him what he deserves. God is our audience. We are his choir. Why do we worship? so I can hear the song I want, so I can feel like I'm in a concert? No. We are a choir. God wants to hear our praise. And this is so fundamental. And I put these passages, I don't have time to read them, but in Revelation chapter 4 is a rich passage of people coming and casting their crowns before the Lord. When we're in heaven, we'll give to him all that he deserves. Because I realize I don't deserve any of this. God, it's what you have done. So we come with this mindset, not to consume what I want, but to give him what I have. In the Old Testament, they would bring an animal and sacrifice it on the altar. They would bring their sacrifice and put it on the altar, and the blood would flow. For today, we are the sacrifice. Romans 12.1, I am to be a living sacrifice where I come. I give to him my life. Worship is giving to him what he deserves. Secondly, we come to unite together in one voice with every generation of music that facilitates a passionate, Christ-centered worship. I know for some of us, maybe the style of music is not always what we are dialed into, maybe not even what we listen to during the week. But we want to have worship that is passionate, that truly passionately worships Christ. We would love to have a worship that we have every generation gathered together 
where we're not segregated based upon what kind of worship style, what kind of age we happen to be, what kind of dress code there seems to be in the place. We don't want to put aside everything that would be an obstacle to every generation. In our worship vision statement is that we are changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we would love across every generation and every culture. What I love about what you're going to see as we continue to worship this morning is the age range of the folks that are leading us in worship. Men and women of all ages that we gather together because in heaven that's where it's going to be. So we invite us into that. We're no longer going to be using titles like celebration worship and elevation worship. We sort of segregate out based upon stylistically driven differences, but that we have a united front where all the worship is something that we can all engage in. We're not going to try to go back to 1955. And we're not going to try to zoom ahead to a years ahead. We don't know what's going to happen there. But we want to be relevant with a worship that really engages all of us together before the Lord, as you will see as we will do and as I get done here very soon. Thirdly, we want to have this kind of worship where we learn how to worship our Lord with a selfless heart of love for Him and one another, where I humbly learn to submit my desires for the greater good of serving Christ through His church. There are some times when I have to submit my desire for my kind of music, my style of music, because I don't always get it on Sunday morning. But I put that aside because I want to come and worship the Lord. If you did my kind of style of music, there'd be a lot of people that would be irritated. On iTunes, I listen to Chicago. 25 or 6 or 4. I love that song. But it's not going to happen here. It's not going to happen here. Okay? Earth, wind, and fire. Not here. No. So we, we submit what maybe we personally would engage in on a private level because I want to be part of the big body. I want to be part of the body that worships together. A song that allows all of us to be singing together, that is singable, that engages us. We don't want people to sit and observe. We want people to stand and sing. And singing together means I humbly submit myself to the music that God has put on the heart of our leaders because they're words that praise and honor our God, who is my audience. And I'm here for him. I'm not here for me. It's not what I get out of it. It's what he gets out of it. You know, years ago when Kiersey, our daughter, one of our daughters was like four, dinner time was always a great time. But sometimes she would frustrate me like crazy. She'd stop, she'd knock, I don't know how many times she knocked over her milk. Kiersey, be careful knock over her milk again and then sometimes we'd have meat and she couldn't she wouldn't eat it she was so stubborn worse she gets at she was so stubborn and she said it's too chewy too chewy well just chew it some more if you don't eat it tonight you're going to eat it for breakfast in the morning and she did i'm telling you that's the kind of parents we were and Somehow she turned out okay. I don't want to have a worship meal where, like in Kirstie's case, she'd want to have macaroni and cheese every night. I wouldn't mind having tacos every night. Joy might have some very healthy meal every night. And Jessica, who knows? So you don't have dinner where mom is or dad is fixing meals that are different because each person in that family wants a different kind of meal. You don't go to Thanksgiving and say, oh, you know, I'm going to bring my Big Mac. Do you mind? You can have your turkey and your dressing. i got a Big Mac. Is that okay? No, you don't do that. You submit yourself 
so that together we don't have multiple meals. We have one meal, and we dine together with Jesus, and we worship him. And then finally, we want to have worship where we learn new songs of praise while still expressing the familiar historic hymns of the faith. I know that some of you may be new to the, to the faith. You may be new to the church. And I'm telling you, Ron and I grew up with some of these great old hymns, and they are wonderful. Now, we want to modify them. We want to bring them up to date. We want to make them sort of like, so that musically, stylistically, they are something that we can engage with. But I'm telling you, the words can be powerful. Some of them we need a, a glossary to understand what it means. But some of them are just wonderful. So we want to engage with some of these great, familiar hymns that are rich, that teach us about God, sings to God. But we also want to engage with new songs. So many, uh, Revelation 5 in heaven talks about singing a new song to God to glorify his name. We want that as well. And so many psalms talk about singing a new song. We love the new songs. We love the old songs. We want to engage together. We want a church that truly worships with one voice and one heart and one body. So you can go first hour, hear the same message, same music. Second hour, same message, same music. So you have a choice now. And uh, we're not changing the music all that much, candidly. You may not even notice any difference. But we want to have this kind of thing where we glorify God. The book of Revelation, all these, I use book of Revelation every time. We're going to sing Revelation 5 here in a moment. Half of the book of Revelation is the worship in heaven. Half of it. Some people think of that book as all about prophecy. No. One half, 50% of that book is all about heaven's worship. My hunger and my desire as a pastor is that you and I corporately, regularly, faithfully, consistently worship so well before Christ that when the day comes that you and I die, and we will, and we go to heaven, we'll have to change as little as possible because we're already trained up and practiced up for worshiping Christ in heaven because we've engaged together on earth in preparation of that day. That God is the audience and we are the choir and we come to praise his name. I invite you into that. Let me pray. Help us, Father. As we engage together, we want to learn, we want to grow. None of us have arrived. God, I know that I haven't. I've been doing a long time, but I still have a lot to learn. I know that, Lord. And I pray, God, that as we all learn and grow together, that we would be the church you want us to be, that we would be the people who love you in worship, and we would be the people who love one another sacrificially and unconditionally. That, God, whether we have people in our lives who are messy or confused or rebellious or loving and sweet and kind, God, we love them all the same. Help us to be people like that, like you that follows you, that, God, you love us not because we're lovable, but you love us because you are love. And I pray, God, that we would do the same. So help us as we worship you now and praise your name. In Jesus' name I pray.